Well, today's uh, a, a special day. I think one that's worth noting. Um, the Bible talks about how we are a new covenant in the New Testament, uh, and yet God has a special place uh, still for the Jewish people, doesn't he? And uh, don't forget that Jesus was Jewish, right? <laughs> and so uh, Paul tells us, you know, we're freed from the bondage, we're freed from the rules and the regulations, but yet it's still, these things are important, and these things for, are for a reason, and today is Rosh Hashanah. Today as we move into today into tomorrow, and so that's the Jewish New Year's 29 Elul, and so um, we just want to say thank you, God. We have our own New Year that's coming up, but I just want to say thank you, God, for this year and for the things you've done, and Lord, as we come into this new season we just thank you, Lord, for your blessings and not cursing. Balaam tried to curse, but, Lord, you commanded a blessing. And we just pray that in Jesus' name over this nation, amen. I just felt like we needed to do that today, and uh, the Lord kind of made that clear that it need, needed to be stated. Um, I just want to get into his word, amen. Let's open up his word to the book of Second Timothy. And I want to read some things that I read last week. Uh, what we're looking at is how... Paul wrote to Timothy of a time that was coming. Who's aware that there was a time that he said would come that I believe is if it's not here in fullness, we are at least in a image, we're in a mirror image of maybe the darkest time that will still be ahead of us. We're pretty close, right? Who believes that, that we've come into a time of darkness like you couldn't imagine. And yet I said last week to encourage you, and I'm going to encourage you again, the darker the darkness gets, the brighter the light gets, right? It doesn't matter how dark it gets. We're not going to get burdened. That's not to put a weight on you. That's not to make you get uh, feel defeated or hopeless. In fact, it's just the opposite. It shows us that the word is true. It shows us that revelation is real. It shows us that there is, listen, if darkness is showing its hand, what is that showing us, right? That, that what he's tried to pretend was just, you know, uh, uh, folklore or just, you know, maybe bad omens or whatever the world calls it, right? But the darker it gets, the clearer it becomes that uh, Satan and his kingdom is real, which does what for us as believers? It, it reaffirms that if darkness is real, then light must be real as well. Amen. That why would Jesus, who was literally the epitome of love, he had no other message except love. He said literally that he is love. I mean, that is the definition of God. God is love. It's defined by him. It's not defined by the world. It's not defined by culture. We're not going to get into all that, right? We see these signs out there that say love is love. No, God is love. You want the definition of love? It's God. It's not Love is not love. It can't define itself. God must define it. And the greatest love was that one would lay down their life for another, which Jesus did, showing us what love is. It's a selflessness, not selfishness. And so why would someone, and because he's not just a someone, right? He was the son of God. But from the world's perspective, why would someone who was about love be so hated? Right? So really the enemy has shown his hand, right? We don't play a lot of cards in the kingdom of God, but in a game of cards, it's called showing your hand, right? And basically, the enemy has tipped his hand. So what he's actually doing is backfiring on the Christians because as we see darkness, that's showing us, wow, if this is happening, then he must be, 
he must be trying to redeem the time because time is ticking and trying to do some things in his kingdom quickly because the Lord is about to do some things in the true kingdom. Amen. And so the book of Timothy, uh, this is 2,000-year-old text, and when I read it, you cannot believe how much it sounds like where we're at today. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, everybody say, in the last days. So proportionally, even if it were 200 more years, right? This is pretty easy math, right? 2,000 years. Uh-oh, Tony Ann's watching me. Then we're in the last 10%, right? That's easy math, right? 200 years. Even if it were 200 more years, we're still in the final 10% if this was written 2,000 years ago, right? So mathematically, we are, if we're not right there, we are inching close to the last of the last days. And it says, there will be difficult times, for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God. Now, there's always been people that have scoffed at God, even from the very, very beginning. We can go all the way back to Genesis and find people scoffing, but not entire cultures, right? Not entire nations scoffing at God. We have come into a time where it's cool to scoff at God, and if you say anything good about God, you are the crazy and you are the weirdo. We have literally flipped it around. The Bible says in the last days that right will be wrong, wrong will be right, good will be wrong, wrong will be good, etc., right? And so they're literally, uh, we've come into a time where this boastful, this proud, literally it says there will be pride. There's a pride movement that scoffs at God and it's disobedient to their parents, uh, ungrateful, literally, I mean, we are in such an ungrateful, a, a, a self-fulfilling and self-gratifying and even a self-deserving time, a time where people believe that they deserve everything. They don't, you know, we, everybody owes them everything. So this ungratefulness, and it says they will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving, unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends. They'll be reckless. They'll be puffed up with pride, and they'll love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. In fact, the Bible goes on here and says, stay away from people like that. It goes on and says, uh, verse 7, uh, some would follow new teachings and uh, they wouldn't be able to understand the truth. And verse 8 says they'll even oppose the truth and even says that they have a depraved mind and a counterfeit faith. Who has noticed that there is a counterfeit faith? It's not my job. I don't mention names for a reason. I've never been called to stand up here and to tell you which pastors to listen to or not to. I've never told you which YouTube videos to watch and not watch. I certainly have my own personal opinions, but I keep that to me. God has not released me to be the judge of who is the perfect example of Christianity on the internet or on TV, all right? So you're not going to hear me do that. So I will say it in a general sense, and you guys can use your own 
own instincts given to you by the Holy Spirit, uh, who is following the word and who is following their feelings, right? Who is following the culture and who is following the word of God. It's clear that we've come into a time where you can see the true church, and I'm not saying we are the epitome of it, right? We are striving to follow God and follow his word. That's it. That's all I can really say. But there is an obvious secondary church, a counterfeit a depraved mind church where the Bible, if it even is mentioned, might be one verse. Jesus has been taken down. Crosses have been taken down because all those things are inconvenient or they might deter somebody from coming here. And so finally, if a person gets saved in one of those churches, what did they really get saved into? Like, what was salvation? If everything about God and everything about Jesus is gone, and then, you know, we're giving them this happy meal message, and then suddenly at the very end we say, would you like to pray a prayer? And then the person's like, yes, I'll pray a prayer, and they're saved. Again, I said last week, that's between them and the Lord. I am not the judge. God is the judge. But I would be cautioned that if the person have not heard the full gospel, they need to hear the truth and the gospel to truly know what they're getting themselves into. Now, was God big enough and great enough to come and find us and even to deal with little tiny, tiny mustard seed faith? Of course he is. And I believe that many who didn't even know what they were saying yes to the Lord came and found them and gave them the full revelation. Amen, right? So we have come into this time for sure, if not the last, we're coming into it where this is a, 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 de, a depraved mind. I mean, just the, the mind, the things that I hear people say and they think is just, it's become so insane that it's shocking. And I say, I don't know why I would be shocked, but I'm still shocked all the time at the things that people think today. And then he says in verse 10, uh, Timothy, you certainly know how I teach and, and how I live and what my purpose is. And he says, you know my persecution and my suffering. And then he goes and he says, uh, he says, everyone who wants to live a godly life will suffer persecution, verse 12 and verse 13. But evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. Who has heard it said, well, they've got a big church. They must be doing something right. Has anybody ever heard that? They must be doing something right. Well, my Bible said 2,000 years ago. Now, does that mean because we're a smaller church that we're perfect? Absolutely not. You could be a big church that's got the heart of God, and you could be a small church that doesn't have the heart of God. That's not your gauge as just a generalization. But it is something to consider that the Bible says in 2 Timothy that evil people and imposters will flourish. What is that implying? We can obviously look at the implication of the other side. It means that if you're going to do it right, he says, verse 12, those who want to live a godly life will suffer persecution. So what the enemy has done is he has tricked the modern church into thinking, let's reduce the gospel down to something that is easier for the world to accept. Let's remove all the things that are uncomfortable. Let's make it a Starbucks, right? Let's turn it into a mall where they're not sure if they're at a doctor's office or, a, or a, you know, a coffee house or like a concert. They're not even sure anymore. They just know that it was fun and it was cool. I don't remember a word they said. And I certainly wasn't encouraged to read my word this week, but I feel good. And so the enemy has tricked the modern church into thinking this is a way to get more people in the doors. And the Bible says 
that these impostors would flourish. Now, my sermon is really just to introduce you to this. I'm not going to major. I'm not going to spend 45 minutes telling you all the bad things going on in other churches and Christianity. I'm simply pointing out to you that Timothy warned this time would come. And then the point that I want to get to, this is our part two, 2 Timothy. We looked at this last week. We're going to go into part two today, is that Paul spends time telling Timothy some things to do with the church, talking about these things, what was going on, and then he gives him some very personal things that he should do to safeguard his faith. Everybody say, safeguard our faith. And so what he says is, and we, and we looked at some of these points last week, I'm going to go on into some deeper things in a moment, but I just want to quickly review. He tells him, uh, some things he says, and I'm calling this the problem and the solution. Everybody say the problem and the solution, right? The problem is that there is a false gospel. There is an easy button. Remember those commercials, right? There's an easy button. There's basically God without God. That's what he says. They're going to come to a time where they, they have a form of religion, but the God of that religion, that's Jesus Christ, right? We're just going to take him down. It looks religious, but there is no Jesus. I told you before, and I'll tell you again, in Australia, uh, there was um, <laughs> this group of people that loved what some of the big churches in the country were doing. So they liked the idea, but they just weren't religious. But they loved the idea of gathering together and having music and fellowship and all these things. So what they did is they copied the template of these big churches in Australia, but just removed the Bible turn the music into happy music, and they get together every week having church. Now, they're blatantly bold that it's not church in the old sense of Jesus being the center of this whole thing that we're doing, and yet uh, they are still gathering together and looking like a church. So the solution is, he says, he says to him in chapter 1, you don't even have to turn to these on the screen. You can just follow along with me. He tells him, he says, Timothy, you had a genuine faith when you were first filled, and we laid hands on you, and your grandmother, your mother had it. You're going to have to be proactive and fan that faith into flames, right? Who knows these verses? And he tells him, he says, I want you to hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching. So you're going to have to be proactive, and you're going to have to hold on to the pattern. This is going to be something that's going to be required of you. And then he says, and this is where I want to get into this week, is he says something in verse 14 of chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14. He says, through the power, everybody say, through the power of the Holy Spirit, who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth. That has been entrusted to you. It's a very simple thing that the Bible is teaching us here. It's only complex because we make it complex. The Bible is a children's book. Jesus said, in order to come to me, you must come like a child. We just make it super deep, and we make it super complex. And I love looking into the mysteries and into the depths of, of the Word and to God, and that's fine to do in our study and to really, really just have this special time. Wow, God, you're so big and incredible. But I can't be so deep over there into that, 
into those, let's just not, let's not call it stuff because it's important, but so into the depths of, of the intricacy of God in the Word that I forget the simplicity of the gospel, which is that I was a sinner and that he saved me and that the Holy Spirit came to live within me. Jesus said, it's actually good that I go. He encouraged them in the book of John. It's good that I go because then I'll send the helper to you. Now, the church decided the Holy Spirit, he was inconvenient for the church because then they would actually have to let him lead the sermons and let him lead the church. So they said, we can do it better. We can do it with media. I can create a fake Holy Spirit with a smoke machine. Now, the Holy Spirit is not mist or smoke anyway, right? That's just a, maybe a, a physical manifestation, right? God is not a pillar of fire, and he's not a, right? He wasn't fire and smoke. That's not him, but that was a physical manifestation of his presence, okay? So the, the false church just says, well, we can create a feeling, right? I love loud music, soft music, all different types of worship music, but right, we can cater to your emotions by just you know, we can just kind of create a moment here musically and with smoke and, and with lights and make you feel certain ways. But the truth is that there is a devil, and he is after your soul. He's been after your soul since the moment you were born. The moment that God planted Adam and Eve in the garden, right, there was Satan there to steal their dominion, to take their place. And the way he did it was to twist and to trick them. He twisted the word. He didn't take the entire word away because they, would be, they, be so, they wouldn't be deceived, but if he just told them a blatant lie, it had to be mixed with some truth. And that's how he was able to draw Eve away, right? She looked at it. She used her senses. She used her feelings. She said, it looks good, okay? And then she goes to her husband, right? And Adam says, okay, Eve, I agree with you. This looks good, right? We don't know exactly the moment there. We just know that she grabs it. She listens to Satan, and then they both eat it, and here we are today under the curse without Christ. But the Bible says that Jesus broke the curse of sin and death, right? He paved the way back into that place that Satan stole from us. And the ultimate part of that, that we must not forget, this is very important. You cannot just receive a concept of Jesus if you do not receive the Jesus of the Bible, which comes with the Holy Spirit living within us, then you have not received the Jesus of the Bible. We cannot get saved into a concept. It's not, I've heard it said, you've all heard it said, right? I like Jesus, I just don't like this. We've all heard statements like that. I like Jesus, I just don't like Paul. I like some of the Bible, but I don't like all of it. I don't think it's all true. I like the Bible, I like Jesus, but I don't think people really lived a thousand years. And so what it becomes is becomes the cut-and-paste Bible, right? Becomes the whatever is convenient or whatever makes the most sense to me Bible. And here's the thing, is that the Holy Spirit and truth are tied together. He is the Spirit of truth. What happens is, is you can do either. You can say, uh, I don't want to be led by you, Holy Spirit, without words, by being led by my own feelings and own emotions, which 
tells the Holy Spirit, you are not welcome here, even though he's knocking on our door patiently, constantly, to tell us what is right. We all know it. We all can feel it. We all sense when the Holy Spirit is tugging on you, saying, don't do that. You better, for, you better de deal with this moment right now. You better say you're sorry right this minute and just, just move on. Do not keep going down this road, right? He's tugging on our hearts constantly, and it's such a, um, uh, a, a real picture. I mean, we, we all know, and just by, by that alone, we know that the Holy Spirit is real because we've all gone through that moment. And then the other side is that, you know, that's the very, that's the spiritual side of us that's like without even reading the word, just knowing that he's tugging on our hearts, right? I just, I know what's right and wrong. I really do. I just don't want to do what's right, right? But we really do know what's right and wrong. And, but they're tied together. So simultaneously, his word, if I'm not sure, his word says it clearly, which is why he tells him, you better guard it. You better safeguard it. You better go over it. Remember my teachings. Remember my word. Because the Holy Spirit and the word are tied together. If you're not sure what the Holy Spirit is saying, go to your word. And I would encourage you to do this every single time anyway, right? Because I'm not going to just listen to a voice or listen to a feeling. I'm going to tie them together. I'm saying, the Holy Spirit's telling me to forgive, and wow, my word says turn the other cheek. My word says to forgive. My word says go the extra mile. My word says to give my cloak. And so now the Holy Spirit's telling me to do something that lines up with his word. Amen. What happens is, is if we get rid of the word and we stop listening to our conscience, which is being directed by the Holy Spirit, then what do you have? You just have a person that is doing whatever they want. And then if we lead, start leading churches that way, well, what do you think? What do you feel? It becomes the chaos that we are in today. You've heard me say it. I'm going to say it again. 35,000 different denominations in Christianity. I'm not talking about other religions. I'm talking about Christian denominations, 35,000. That does not come just because we have differences of opinion. That's why I call them demonations, not just denominations, demonations. Because there are demon nations. It's, uh, it's just to get us divided, get us fighting, and ultimately when you really dig down into what it is, it's like, well, I don't believe this in the Word, I don't believe that in the Word. That's too uncomfortable, I don't like that, I don't like this. That's really what you find. And so he says, you need to guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. And what I want to, to really get today is that you can't do that. I want you just to really acknowledge it right now. I can't guard the truth. I can't. Because the Bible says the heart is the most wicked thing, isn't it, right? Different translations are going to paraphrase it. I'm just paraphrasing it, 2022 language. Your, your heart is deceptive, it is evil on its own, and it will trick you. That's why my heart must be anchored in the Word led by the Holy Spirit, and not based on culture, based on how I feel right now. Who feels different today than maybe you did last night? Anybody wake up to a new day? Anybody just need, like, I need to go to sleep, I'm going to feel better tomorrow? Imagine you made some life decisions when you were feeling really cruddy, right? It's better when you're not feeling great. This is not, it doesn't even sound spiritual, and yet it is, to just push this, it aside, just think I'm probably cranky right now, and I'm just going to, I just need to just pull away for a little while, and I'm going to, I'm going to feel better. 
That's a very, very simple example. But here's the reality. You cannot do it. It's, you need to rely on the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to look at. It says, as he goes into, he's giving Timothy so many things, and that's why I'm going to be going through these points uh, most likely into next week as well. We'll see how we get for the next few minutes here. But he goes on and tells him, he says, uh, in chapter 2, as we move into chapter 2, he says, Timothy, verse 1, he says, My dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You know what's funny about a verse like verse 1 is that could be one that you kind of breeze over to get to the next passages. And I'm going to read the next ones because they tie together. He says in verse uh, 3, endure suffering with me like a good soldier. Everybody say good soldier because these are some of the points we're going to look at, right? These are things he's telling him, some things. So he's been telling him, you need to be in your word. You need to guard your faith. You need to let the Holy Spirit lead you. So these are all things to safeguard yourselves against the selfish, uh, counterfeit, faith that is trying to take over the world. These are things you need to do. And he says, soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life. And we'll look deeper at this. Verse 15 of chapter 2, he says, you need to work hard, present yourself to God. Uh, and chapter uh, verse 22 says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Now, this is not a sexual lust. This is just anything that's going to pull you away like a youth does, like all these different things, which could be sexual as part of it, but just, you know, a youth is like, I don't know what I want to be, where I'm going to go, and they start, they have all these impulses to go and do and be. And it says, instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. So those are all within 2 Timothy chapter 2. So he's telling him a lot of things. Now, verse 1 could be a verse you would breeze over to really look at the verses we know, like being a good soldier, right? Who's ever heard sermons, and we're going to look into that, about being a soldier for Christ, right? And about working hard for the Lord and, 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 um, and not, uh, you know, trying to please this world, but to please God. Amen. But I could not, I just kept coming back to this and coming back to this and coming back to this. Verse 1, Timothy, my dear son, be strong. Everybody say, I'm only strong through his grace. He says, verse 1, I mean, just here's a new, a new topic, right? There's no chapter and verse. He's just writing him a letter. But he's writing Timothy some things, and he's moving from chapter 1, so he's just, he wrote some things, and now when, the, when the, the guys who put the Bible together and put the numbers there so it'd be easier for us to read, they could easily see, okay, he's moving on to another subject. Of course, it's still tied to the last subject, so here's chapter 1, here's chapter 2. But before he moves on, he says, he says Timothy, it's the grace that God gives you that you're going to be able to do anything I'm about to say. It is by His grace. And it is tied together in verse 1, verse 14, through the Holy Spirit who lives within us. And what I want to look with you today for the next few minutes is this, that grace is a superpower. Everybody say, grace is a superpower. 
you know, we have this idolization of superpowers, right? TV, they love superpowers, and everybody could dream about, you know, like, well, if you could have one superpower, what, it, what would it be? We've all gone down these rabbit trails, right? I'd fly, right? I'd run really fast, right? I could be super smart. I could look through walls or whatever, right? We all have these ideas of, like, superpowers and think, wow, it'd be amazing to be more powerful than I am. Who's ever thought that? Ever thought it would be fun or cool or advantageous to be more powerful than you are? And the truth is that the devil has tried to suppress the church and the Christian and, and to keep you from realizing that you are so much more powerful than you are. In him, in Christ, this is, I just prayed it and I pray it almost every Sunday. The Bible says, that every single knee will bow before Jesus. Amen. We know that. We believe that. It's like part, one of the pillars, right, of our Christianity is that he is supreme. You know, we know that. We like anchor to this, that no matter what's going on, no matter what's happening, it's all going to finally bow. It's an even death. The Bible says that Satan and his fallen angels and death is all getting thrown into the lake of fire. Jesus will be supreme and high above at all at the end. And my Bible says that same Jesus is in me. It is not I who lives, but it is Christ who lives in me. Even Jesus, he is uh, going through these 30 years living on the earth, experiencing everything we experience, and the Bible says really that he did it so that he would face everything that you and I face and that he would uh, be righteous through it all, right? The Bible says that he is aware of our sufferings. He's aware of our feelings. He lived a 30 years as a human life. And when Jesus transitioned from Jesus the man into Jesus the Christ, the ministry, the Bible says he went down into the Jordan. He was baptized by John. He was tempted by Satan, just like we are. It's all He is showing that he did it. We can do it. And then the Holy Spirit came and inhabited him, and his ministry began. So not only do we have Christ who lives within us, Jesus said, I'm going to send you the same Holy Spirit who has been with me on the earth. I'm going to send him into you. And what's happened is, is Christianity has become a head game. It's become all about knowledge uh, you know, trying to figure it all out in our heads, or it has become nothing. As I've just started, <laughs> we talked for many minutes, I don't want to go back there, but I'm just saying again, it's become either this heady thing, and we're breaking everything down, which can be fun to do. I love, again, I'm going to say it again, I love studying His Word, but it becomes so heady sometimes that we forget the simplicity of the gospel. And then there's the other side that's like, yeah, I just want Jesus. I don't really want the Jesus of the Bible. I just like that name. And the thing is, we cannot separate Jesus from the Bible, from the Word of God itself, and the Holy Spirit. They are all tied together, which means if you believe the Word, if you have set your faith in Christ, then the Holy Spirit must be a part of your life, and it is only through His grace. The Holy Spirit comes, and He gives you a power, a strength that is greater than you. It is not yours. Amen. Grace is more than a crutch. Grace is not only for covering our sins while God works on us. 
Grace isn't something you can earn. Grace is not you. God is literally stepping into your situation and giving you strength and power you don't have. Grace is something that comes at the end of self. So I've been meditating on this, and all week I've been meditating on this thought. Actually, last week as well, I was really just meditating on what grace is. And I would say that most Christians know that grace is a gift, right? Come on, we all know that. Grace is a gift. That's Christianity 101, right? It's nothing you can earn. It was given to you. You don't deserve it, and you can't pay it back. Okay, we get that. I can never be a super Christian to pay back the blood of Christ. I'm only living out my life to represent Christ in a response of thanks, and ultimately even beyond that because he is literally inhabiting me, living his life through me, right? That's the word. But grace was something that came before I even started on that journey. It means that the moment that I said yes, even before I said yes, right? Who could see the grace of God in your life before you even ever said yes? I can see the grace of God in other people's lives and my own at times where, you know, I, maybe I had my focus wrong and God gave us grace. So grace is a gift. That, I cannot debate it. I'm not trying to debate it. That's it. Plain and simple, it's a gift. And we've been saved by grace, so no one can boast of their good works. So grace is a gift, and the Bible says that God saved us by his grace. Amen, right? These are fundamental principles. That means simply, he did something for us by his power and through his strength, not our own. I'm going to say that again. Grace means that God did something for us by his own power through his strength, not our own. Okay, we're acknowledging that. I'm laying a foundation for some things. And we responded to his grace with yes, Lord. Right? Who has responded to his grace? Who recognized his grace and said yes? I want that. I want what you're giving me. I want what you're offering me. I receive your gift, and I receive salvation. I receive forgiveness of sin, and I receive eternity. So grace is something supernatural that God does for us. We are just simply responding to it. Are we all on the same page? God's doing it for you, and I'm responding to it. In other words, I could say it this way. You have a college fund. It has been prepared for you. It is there. It's been saved. It's put aside. It is 100% for you. You don't have to do anything to earn it or gain it, but you do have to activate it. Does that make sense? Right? I do have to accept it and apply it. Amen. So grace is something that has been given freely to you and for you, and yet uh, you still have to activate it but it's not you, right? So I can say, well, I'm doing it, but it's not me. I'm speaking this way, but these are not my words, right? When you truly get the revelation of it, you realize it's not you, and that's what I'm going to look at here. I would say that there are 
two groups. As I've been meditating on this, yes, it's a gift, but I was thinking there's probably two groups when it comes to understanding grace. The first group is the new Christian, and the second group is the mature Christian. Now, the mature Christian, it might take months, it could take years, it could take 50 years to become to a place where you have fully got this. And I'm not comparing one to another in a competition. We're not competing with each other. There's not the super Christian and like the medium Christian and the new Christian in God's eyes. It is purely a, a, a human thing that I'm talking about where we're getting more and more revelation in Christ. We're all seated in him. Amen. Right? We were saved by grace and we're all seated in Christ when we were saved. So this revelation is taking us, and we are be- we're acting upon it, right? And I'll, I'll prove it to you this way. Who responds to situations uh, better now that you've been saved than you did when you were first saved? Right? Who didn't quite get what it meant to be a good Christian yet? And you didn't, you're not doing it today because you're trying to be a good Christian, but you're doing it because you want to please God. And you just love him. You're not trying. And you care about the other person. You genuinely care <clears throat> for them now. Where before, you're like, I'm a Christian, but I hate you. Right? I'm going to heaven. You're not. And I'm kind of glad about it. That's just the baby Christian, right? That's the new Christian. Right? We've all been there. Listen, we're laughing because we've all, we all remember those type of thoughts and feelings. And they could try to even creep back in again. But the mature Christian, they come to a place where, the, where it would be this. I would say that many Christians would probably only acknowledge grace as having to do with their sins. I would say even if I had to guess a number, 50% of Christianity, when we talk about the word grace, we would talk about sin, right? Would you agree with me? Grace is tied to sin, right? That's a sin thing. We have sin, so God gives us grace. And we're really falling so short on what grace is. Grace is so much greater. It is not only about sin, and it is not only the forgiveness of sin. For the mature Christian, we come to the place where we realize, I actually crave his grace. I actually, it, it is literally, it is a lifestyle of mine. I thank God, and I pray for grace every single day. Because when you come into a place of more and more maturity in the Lord, you realize it's not really sin that I'm, work, that I'm trying to worry about. I'm not, it's not trying not to sin anymore. It's actually the grace to do right. right. The baby Christian's trying not to do wrong. The mature Christian wants to do right. You see the difference. And so grace is not just, Lord, cover my sins, but grace is actually a superpower to, it propels you. This is what the Holy Spirit, we can say the Holy Spirit inside us and this is why Timothy said to, to, I mean, Paul said to Timothy, I'm going to give you some things you're going to need to do. Be a soldier. Work hard. You cannot be a soldier. And you cannot work hard. And we'll look into these things next week without the Holy Spirit giving you that power to do it, giving you the strength. You cannot do it on your own. It is by grace. And that's why then you wake up in the morning and you thank God for it. And you begin to pray for it. You say, Lord, Give me grace. Give me grace. Right? Who prays this way like I do? We all, as you become more and more mature in him, you begin to pray and crave it and ask him to give you grace because grace is more than salvation. Grace is so much more. 
Yes, you've been saved by grace, and it's by his grace that I exist, but it's also by his grace that I can do anything. We must come to the place where you realize it's not that grace helps you do the super Christian things, but you have to come to the place that I can do nothing without him. I cannot even breathe, as we looked at that song and I prayed this morning, even the breath of God in my lungs is his grace. He is giving me breath that I don't deserve, right? Because how many people are using God's grace in their life, breath in their lungs, to curse him? And yet he doesn't strike them off the face of the earth, right? So we see the grace of God is coming when we least deserve it. And then when we get the revelation of it, I realize that there is power. Grace actually empowers me. His grace is empowering me. It's actually giving me life when I don't deserve it. And so by doing that, when I get this revelation, we come to this place where uh, it's by his grace that I have abilities to do what I shouldn't be able to do. And I'm going to just make some final points here. Grace is when, or is what, uh, it's in, in the empowering to do right. Grace strengthens us to go through a situation. You'll find that you had grace because suddenly you were loving the unlovable. You were quiet when you wanted to speak. You're handling a situation in your life that you know you can't do on your own, right? Who has been there? And it is by God's grace. So you see that it is not just sin. It's not just that he's covering your sin with his grace, saving you. But you have to look at what saving means, right? Jesus said, I can tell this guy to be healed or I can tell him that his sins are forgiven. To me, it's the same thing. What do you guys want me to say to him? Right? Jesus is playing with them. He was toying because they're, you know, they're debating on him. They has the authority to say what he's, what he's saying. And he's saying, when I free someone, when I save someone, when I cover somebody in my blood, they are saved eternity on the earth, body, soul, mind, and spirit. It is all connected. We are, we are not just going to go to heaven one day. That is not salvation. But salvation is that I have given you, I came to give you life and life abundantly. So I have life here and now. That means that I'm being fueled by something supernatural. And that is the Holy Spirit speaking into my life. That is him suddenly, right? We all have this happen. You open your word and there's a verse that you need. Somebody speaks something to you and there's what you need to hear. And honestly... If we pay more attention, it's happening every second of every day. And what we see is that actually that what we are looking at here is that what he's telling Timothy is the Holy Spirit and truth and grace, it is working together. Here's the world. You really just see that they are careless and carefree. The really what you really, if you really look at it, what the worldly person is saying is, is I don't want to know. It's not the truth versus the lie. It's that I don't want to know the truth because I want to live my life the way I want to live it. And what we do is when we, when we are truly abandoned and we say, Lord, I want you to be the center of my life, you don't even have to ask the Lord to help you in a specific situation. When you do that, 
When you have truly made him the center, grace is filling your life in every avenue. And that's why we can say as Christians that one day you just stop talking a certain way, you just stop thinking a certain way. It's not that you weren't in your word. We're going to look at this next week. It's not that you weren't around other believers. There are some natural things that are happening. But it is this place, the Bible says, he gives grace to the humble. And the moment that you truly say yes to Christ, you have instantaneous grace. And when a Christian who is truly committed to the Lord, where they keep humbling themselves and humbling themselves. And I'm always, right, we're always humbling ourselves more and more and more. And, and humbling is not just getting on your knees before the Lord. Humbling is, again, when you want to say something and you don't. That's humility. There comes grace, right? And, and you see the, the tag team, because sometimes the Holy Spirit gives you the grace, and you, don't, you actually don't even realize, right, who has had their mouth shut by the Lord, Right? Or the other, or you were about to say something and you just say blessings. And you see that that's why, because it is the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, there is action on your part and you are making actions to follow Him because you want to all the time, but you literally are being empowered by the Holy Spirit. He gives you the examples where it wasn't you so that you realize that when you think it was you, it still wasn't you. Do you get what I'm saying? You get my point. You might be making the conscious effort, but he gives you enough experiences where you didn't make the effort, and he does it through you to show you that it's always him. Amen? I don't want to—I could keep going, but I'm going to leave it there. Just—I'll I'll leave this verse. It says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he said, right, another Paul verse. Paul's talking to the Lord. He's telling the Lord, I need your help. And the Lord said to him, my grace is all you need. My grace is all you need. Amen. So it doesn't matter how dark it gets. We're going to keep looking at 2 Timothy. It doesn't matter how dark, how dreary, or how evil it gets. The Lord has an answer for us. Paul took the time to write Timothy a whole second letter telling him, listen, this, 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 and that. It's not a checklist, right? It's not religious. But these things, if you do these things, if you recognize these things, if you give yourself fully to the Lord... He will safeguard you. He will help you. And the, these evils that are coming in, they're not going to get on you. In fact, you are going to oppose them. Amen. So let's just pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this word. And I pray it would go down deep into our hearts. Lord, and let's just turn this sermon into a prayer. I pray today, God, give us more grace. Lord, this nation needs grace. And I know you've already given it grace, Lord. If we didn't have grace, we would have been judged much harsher, much more harshly, Lord, a long time ago. You've already given us so much grace as a nation. But God, as believers, I pray you would give us the strength, Lord, to stand for righteousness. Lord, to stand in our homes, to stand for our families, to stand in our workplaces. Lord, to be light and not let the darkness become... Lord, we're not going to become part of it. We're not going to just come down to that level, Lord. We are not better... But, Lord Jesus, we have you within us, and we have the answers. We have the light. And I pray, God, we would not compromise, but we would stay strong in you. And only you can do that in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you.